today on Ag News Daily. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you solo today on the Ag News Daily Podcast. That hum you hear in the background is the hum of progress. It's the hum of America moving westward as I am traveling from Rapid City to Newcastle, Wyoming. Headed out to talk to the Wyoming bankers. I'm very excited for that opportunity. But before we get to Newcastle, of course, we've got some news in the world of agriculture. And not touching agriculture directly, but certainly playing into the trade war battles that have been ongoing, is news that came out of the White House earlier today. President Donald Trump is expected to delay a decision on imposing tariffs on imported cars and car parts by up to six months. Three Trump administration officials confirmed to Reuters that they think this delay is going to be in place. A formal announcement is expected on Saturday which is the date for Trump to make a decision on the recommendations by the Commerce Department. And remember, these were going to be Section 232 tariffs. And 232 applies directly to national security. So the idea is that at least for the next six months, no security is going to be impacted by the decision to continue to allow foreign cars and car parts into this country. This has been loudly cheered by automakers across the spectrum. GM, Ford, and Chrysler have all gotten on board. They say we do not want to see tariffs on cars and car parts. Of course, these are companies whose supply chains are global in spec, and they do not want to have to be paying import taxes on uh, you know car parts they're bringing in from Europe and especially from Asia. So that's step one in the world of today's news. We've also got some news that should help all of us who are heavy-duty borrowers. The U.S. economy has continued to slow. Retail sales slowed unexpectedly in April. Households cut back on purchases of motor vehicles, which frankly isn't surprising given the large number of vehicles that have been purchased in the past 18 months. But we also slowed down purchases on a range of other goods, and this has economists worried that perhaps we're beginning to see an overall slowdown in economic activity as a whole. Now, we need this data to be verified for several months in a row before it can begin to make uh, an actual impact on what economists are truly thinking, but this does jive with the U.S. Federal Reserve's notes that, hey, perhaps the economy isn't as strong as we'd hoped. And uh, my guess is going to be that we're going to see this maintain stable. Yeah, I'm not going to go out on a limb. I'm not going to say that we'll, we'll see declining interest rates, but I do think we won't see any more hikes in the Federal Reserve overnight funds rate in the short term. This is one of those things that uh, the Fed watches very closely. They want to see strength in the U.S. economy before they begin their, their practice of raising rates again. So, hey... Good news for those of us who haven't been in to see our bankers and haven't locked in our interest rates anytime soon. Now is the time to do it. We're getting another reprieve. Lock them in, folks. Lock them in, especially if you've got some long-term debt. The farther you can lock it in, the better off you're going to be long-term. We've also got some other tariff news coming out of D.C. Apparently, the U.S. is close to resolving the scuffle 
over steel and aluminum tariffs with at least Canada and Mexico. Steven Mnuchin said earlier today, he's the Treasury Secretary, he said earlier today that high-level American and Canadian officials have met to discuss trade issues, and he's feeling very positive that we're close to an understanding that will allow us to get rid of those steel and aluminum tariffs. For any of you who have tried to buy grain bins in the past year, this is welcome news. Dropping that 25% tariff will surely help drop the upwards price pressure that we have seen on steel prices over the past year, and maybe will allow grain bin and machinery companies to extend prices for longer than two weeks, fingers crossed. Here's what Steve Mnuchin said. He said, quote, I think we are close to an understanding with Mexico and Canada on resolving the tariffs. He, and that's end quote, he did not provide any details about what this potential agreement might look like. But Christia Freeland said, quote, we are made the case that we have been doing for some time that the best outcome for both Canadians and Americans would be to lift those tariffs and have free trade between our two countries who have this fantastic trading relationship in place. End quote. Lots of optimism coming out of D.C. with regard to the trade, especially, you know, as we look at this potential delay on the auto tariffs and this potential ending of the steel and aluminum tariffs with regard to at least Canada and Mexico. Coming out of Washington State, we've got news that Governor Jay Inslee has signed a law that phases out the production and sale, that's the key word, the sale of eggs from caged hens. Just like California, this law is going to apply regardless of where the eggs were produced. Uh, basically, this is an identical law to the one they passed in California, very similar to the law that was passed in Massachusetts a couple of years ago. And uh, basically, this is going to ban cages. It's going to require more space per bird. And this law mandates that hens be provided with enrichments, including scratch areas, perches, nest areas, and dust bathing areas. Now, I had a conversation over the weekend with a very, very good friend of mine, a friend I trust. He is an American farmer who works tirelessly for the well-being of his livestock and the livestock of all of that he is associated with. And he is a part owner in an egg facility in, uh, in Iowa. We'll just leave it at that. And he said they've got a consultant they've worked with for years and years and years. And this consultant recently took a gig working with producers who are trying to comply with California's egg law. And what he found is that no matter how many enrichments you're able to provide these hens, uh, chickens, at the end of the day, are phenomenally stupid. They just are. And you cannot train them to go outside at certain times of the day. You cannot train them to lay eggs in certain uh, parts of your facility every single day. So basically what these laws are doing is they're requiring chickens to be housed in much more expensive, much larger, more grandiose facilities to zero benefit to the chickens. Because you want to know what else? You let chickens loose on one another and you know what they do? They peck each other to death. Chickens are horrible, horrible creatures. The only good chicken is a fried chicken. That is something I've said before, and I will stand behind 110%. Basically, uh, just as a follow-up, the USDA does not publish the number of layers in, the, in Washington State. Excuse me. 
so we don't know what the individual farmers are producing. However, they did say that the number of eggs produced in Washington State is 185 million, and uh, this is surprising. That works out to 279 eggs per person in Washington State, so they are prolific egg eaters. They're just not really up to date on what it takes to raise these chickens in a healthy manner. So. We'll continue to see. We'll continue to watch this. This law is in effect as of this morning. Um, folks, if you are a listener out in Washington State, if you are a chicken producer in particular, let us know what you think. How is this going to change your operation? Are you one of those who's going to have to shut down, remodel, and restock? We want to hear from you. We've also got news coming out of farm country. Farmers National has announced that cash rents... One of the most popular topics of discussion in farm country basically are steady. Uh, it's a news story because there is no news. Effectively, cash rents are staying steady. Uh, farm ground continues to be in demand. We're seeing growers willing to pay a premium in some parts of the country for highly desirable crop ground. However, we are seeing weakness pop up in some parts of the country where the crop ground is let's call it less dependable. I grew up in southern Iowa. I know what it's like to be a poor dirt farmer, and I know what it's like to have soils that are easily impacted by moisture and other concerns, and that is the ground that is taking it on the chin. That high-quality soil continues to be in demand. Basically, high-quality soil and well-irrigated slash well-drained soils continue to be in demand by the American farmer we're going to see them willing to write large checks at least for the 2019-2020 growing season. Now, these numbers were compiled a little bit earlier in the year. This is all heading into March, so there was still fairly decent optimism that a trade deal would be signed with China. Will we see this optimism carry forth into next year? I'm not sure, but... We did have good news on the market front earlier today. So this rally has continued in corn, soybeans, and wheat. Unfortunately, feeder cattle did not see much of a rally as we uh, we watched the markets grind into the close earlier today. However, if this rally can continue, if these prices can be sustained, we might very well see growers willing to write a premium, or excuse me, write a check with that premium for this crop ground heading into 2020. So, with that being said, let's jump into the markets and think, see how things wrapped up for the day. Folks, our markets are brought to us by our great friends over at the Zaner Group. Remember, we've got volatility in the markets, and that requires some cognizant forward thinking when we look at our risk management plans. Give our friends at Zaner a shout and use them to manage your risk management. As we see right now, you can reach Zaner at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, as I mentioned, yesterday's rally has continued. It has perhaps lost a little bit of steam, but hey, green on the screen is a win for America's producers. In the corn markets, uh, July corn was up three quarters of a cent at 369 and a half. The September contract up a penny at 378 and a quarter. In soybeans, the July contract up four cents on the day, closed at 835 and a half. August also up four cents, finished at, at 842 
even. In Chicago wheat, the July was up a quarter penny at 8.48 and three quarters. The September up a quarter penny at eight. Excuse me, oh, that would be a heck of a rally. September closed at 4.56 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we saw live cattle June contract up 17 and a half cents at 109.6750. The August up 25 closed at 106.97 and a half. Feeder cattle did see some weakness spill over into today. The August contract down 22 and a half cents at 142.27 and a half. September down 35 cents closed the day at 143.2250. And in lean hogs, holy buckets, that rally is back and in fourths. In force, the June contract up $2.70, closed off, limit up, daily $3 trading limit, finished at $91.82.5, July up $1.87.5 at $91.92.50. And of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy sector. Trade was mixed earlier in the day, and that's how it closed. The May contract down two cents at $16.27, with the June up five, closed at $16.24. Without further ado, we are going to jump in to our Wednesday discussion. We have a fantastic uh, conversation brought to us by our friend Eric Pfeiffer at Hoosier Ag Today. He is out in Washington with NAFB's Washington Watch. And uh, he got to hear from Richard Fordyce, the head of the Farm Service Agency, earlier today. Let's see what Richard has to say, particularly about the Farm Bill implementation. The dairy industry is um, certainly has seen better days. I don't know exactly how to say it, but um, you know, not it's not uh, uh, it's not a it's not a really good story at this point. Um, um, you know, we we're always hopeful that you know that those dynamics will change and, and that that gets better. Um, you know, the grain sector right now is uh, um, is a little is a little difficult and. Um, and you know the beef the beef sector is not not uh, not the greatest, but <clears throat> but I think that the uh, uh, Congress went through and worked through a uh, a farm bill um, a lot of I think a lot of thoughtful consideration um, as it relates to uh, existing programs that farm service agency administer and how. Um, and how could they improve those? And I think they did. Um, I think they did a really, a really good job in in addressing um, addressing some some pieces in the 14 legislation and making it better uh, in the 18 version. Um, and dairy is one of those. So we had the margin protection program for dairy under the 14 farm bill. Uh, lots of interest, lots of sign up at the beginning uh, when that program was rolled out, and it really just didn't uh, it didn't accomplish the things that I think the authors thought that it would. And so there were some adjustments um, uh, for a short uh, short period of time uh, due to the bipartisan budget act that was passed in February of 2018, and then they really uh, really took a look at it in. Uh, in the new bill. And so um, margin protection program is now dairy margin coverage, DMC. Um, I think there was a band um, a while back, uh, run DMC. Oh, yeah. that's, how I, that's how I remember it. Um, uh, so, uh, so anyway, dairy margin coverage program. Uh, and so, the, so those, those issues in MPP that were really not working well, um, they really took a look at. So 
um, raise the coverage uh, levels, uh, opportunities for uh, producers to select higher coverage levels, lowered the premiums, um, and then um, offered an opportunity or will offer an opportunity for those, uh, those producers that had paid premiums in the old margin protection program to be able to apply those as a 75% credit um, uh, toward premiums in the new program or get a 50%, the value of those premiums minus any, any payments that they would have gotten, uh, a 50% cash um, uh, payment. So uh, offering some, some flexibility uh, around that I think was, was really important. Um, I, there's a lot of interest uh, certainly in the program. Uh, we will we'll begin sign up in uh, on June 17th uh, for the DMC program, and we've been working we've been working uh, you know kind of simultaneously across the different programs that we'll administer at, at Farm Service Agency. But the dairy uh, the dairy program was priority one to get it um, to get sign up uh, for producers out the door first, uh, and so we're on track to be able to do that. Um, you know, for a farm bill that, um, for a farm bill that was not—I don't know what the right word is—transformative or whatever. This one, was, this one was more fixing some things that that already existed. Um, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, you know, certainly the process—the the process that we would go through is after the farm bill was agreed upon and passed, president signed it on the 20th of December. Um, we started looking then at the legislation between the two the two bills, the 14 and the 18 farm bill. What was different, um, and then and then figuring out what decisions that needed to be made. There were some decisions at my level, some decisions um, at the undersecretary's level, and then ultimately some uh, went to the secretary for uh, for decisions. And so we did that across all of those programs, um, whether it's whether it was CRP or livestock disaster programs, um, ARC PLC. The dairy margin coverage program, um, and um, and and by comparing the two the the language from the two bills, that kind of gives you kind of what's kind of what the lift is going forward. So, you know how much how much work do we need from an IT perspective? So modernizing our our systems to be able to administer those programs. Um, you know, writing the handbooks, the guidance for uh, for all of our employees, nearly 11,000 employees across 2,124 county offices that are going to administer these programs. So figuring out what needs to be changed in the in the handbooks and the guidance, um, what needs to be changed from that uh, from that IT perspective. Um, you know, we have um, uh, from a from an administrative standpoint, we've got two really large. Um, assets. One is our people, and second is our all of our IT platforms that support the the administration of those programs. Um, so anyway, figuring out what that is and what the timeline is, um, you know, uh, USDA and I think the federal government in general uh, are really fond of acronyms. Um, and so I learned a new one. Um, you all may know this one, but LOE level of effort. Um, and so, anytime we uh, anytime we look at what is what needs to be done to get that to get that piece of legislation, get it uh, ready to administer, um, and and primarily on that IT side, is we look at the level of effort, and that can, then that gives us a timeline and a cost um, to be able to to accomplish that. Um, so ARC PLC again, some changes there. I think that were uh, that were positive. I know uh, I remember uh, personally 
um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, with my Title I commodities covered in under ARC PLC in 2014, and I went to, well, I was the Ag Director in Missouri at the time, so I should probably have figured out, you know, really how that program worked, but I just wasn't real comfortable when I made my elections, whether I was putting the right crop in the right program at the right time. And if you remember, in 2014, when we made those elections, that was for the life of the Farm Bill. So, you know, a lot of things can change in five years. And so um, I would say that probably a lot of producers that made those made those elections in 2014, as, as market uh, situations change, they probably would have maybe made some different uh, elections had they had the chance. Well, the new Farm Bill allows for that. Um, producers will make an election in 19. Um, we're going to start signing up for ARC PLC around September 1st, and uh, that election is also good for the 2020 crop. Uh, and then producers will have an opportunity, if they so choose, in, 20, in 2021, 2022, and 2023 to make different elections if, they, um, if, if, if it looks like the, that would be the right decision to make. So, um, so again, I think positive, uh, positive improvements there. From a CRP standpoint, certainly one of our uh, really kind of foundational uh, programs, um, you know, the, the work or the, the accomplishments um, that, that producers have been able to gain through voluntary conservation efforts with CRP really since, uh, since the beginning in 1985, I think, are um, monumental. Um, you know, the amount of soil uh, erosion that's been prevented, the improvements to water quality um, from those first... Uh, from those first contracts uh, in 1985, and and there was even a there was even a component then I remember um, I remember very well um, a component of a little bit of supply um, uh, reduction and soil erosion um, prevention was kind of the uh, it's kind of the platform for CRP back when it first started, but it has certainly evolved uh, a lot since then. Uh, a lot of um, you know that was a, that was general signups. We still can, we still have general opportunities for general sign up and continuous sign up. Continuous is more of those targeted areas where you're dealing with certain resource concerns, whether it's uh, riparian buffers, filter strips, those kind of things that um, that really um, really can provide some benefit um, uh, from a water quality environmental um, perspective. So. Um, um, not a lot of changes in CRP, uh, although uh, the cap has now been um, raised by the end of this farm bill. 27 million acres uh, will be the cap. And so, uh, so Congress recognized uh, the need for additional acres in CRP. A lot of decisions around that. Um, you know, where do we prioritize, uh, where do we prioritize those acres um, uh, and those those discussions are still ongoing. We've, we're we're kind of getting that finalized, but um, nothing uh, nothing to report on at this point um, as far as what those decisions will be as far as priorities go. But um, again, our standing disaster programs um, uh, primarily unchanged. Um, there were some um, there were some payment caps on some that uh, that were raised. Uh, ECP, for example, um, uh, our livestock disaster programs, um, either no cap or the cap was raised, and it, and it goes across uh, livestock indemnity program, livestock forage program. Um, so, 
Uh, so I think, again, Congress realized um, that there was a need. It was a, it was a little restrictive, some of, the, some of those standing disaster programs and the payment limitations. You know, if you have a uh, if you're a good-sized producer and you have uh, you have a loss due to a disaster, um, kind of get kind of getting pigeonholed by a um, um, by a cap was probably not the best approach, and so um, so that's been that's been remedied as well. Uh, our ECP program for those of you in the Midwest, um, it's going to be highly utilized uh, from the flooding that was that happened in March. Uh, I think uh, nearly 50 counties in uh, in Nebraska have made application, um, and then counties in Iowa, Missouri, um, to this point through the uh, from those March storms. Uh, we still we're not very far removed from the hurricanes last fall uh, in Florida and Georgia. Uh, the, that's where our ECP program steps in and helps with uh, with disaster assistance uh, to producers there as well. So. Um, lots of uh, lots of things going on with the Farm Service Agency. Uh, we've got uh, you know trying to stand up the Farm Bill, um, get it out the door. Uh, while we have um, we have those things that we that we do um, that we do every year, acreage reporting. You know our spring planning uh, acreage report deadline is July 15th. That is certainly um, certainly a heavy lift. We we continue to look at opportunities to modernize our uh, acreage reporting system. And um, a lot of effort around that. So um, lots of things going on at Farm Service Agency, and I guess I would entertain questions, or I don't know. I don't know what the what the format is. And that's that. They're making good progress on implementation of the Farm Bill. Let's hope they can continue to proceed apace. Listeners, I'll be back tomorrow, hopefully with some discussions out here in Wyoming with fellow Wyoming, well, not fellow, I'm no longer a banker, but these folks still are. They're working with growers big and small to keep America's beef herd running, America's sugar beet crops producing, and hopefully we'll be bring some uh, discussions with them for tomorrow. In the interim, if you have missed our past episodes, check out our website at agnewsdaily.com. And of course, you can always find us on social media. Just search for Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter, and we'll be right there. With that, listeners, I'm going to let you go.